going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about what God's word says to us about Christmas. Anybody in here, like, you're going to admit you're just a Christmas nut, you're a Christmas fan. Raise your hand. Get up. Like, Christmas music early summer is just fine with you. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm with you. I will pray extra for you because I believe that's anointed. And... And I do. I love, I love all things Christmas. I love, I love the Christmas songs. I love the light. I love it all. And even the song we sang, you know, Oh Holy Night. You know, that, there's that one line that always just, always grabs me where it says, you know, until the, the world was waiting, right? Until he appeared and the soul felt its worth, right? In this moment that God gives this gift, Jesus, you and I get to, we understand the depth of God's love for you and for me. I love that. I, lo- I mean, I, it, like, that song is like, that's up there for me. I love Joy to the World. Uh, and that line is in, the, in Joy to the World where it says, like, like, every heart prepare him room. The truth of the gospel, the truth of Christmas is that, that Jesus is for every heart. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, it doesn't matter what color, it doesn't matter where you're, what country, it doesn't matter what political party, it doesn't matter. Every heart can prepare room to receive what God offers. And so I love that. I love the goofy Christmas songs. I love, you know, grandma got ran over by a reindeer. You know, you love it. You know, they said, you know, she'd been drinking too much eggnog, so she staggered out in the snow. And you're like, well, that wasn't just eggnog. You know what I'm saying? I mean, eggnog's gross, but, you know, and that, you know, you know that's reason enough to get out of there. But, you know, but, so I love that. You know, but, and can we settle once and for all? Like the one Christmas, like can we settle the truth of the one Christmas? Like Mary knew, you know? That's not Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. The angel told her. It wasn't fuzzy. You know, she's like, yeah, oh yeah, Mary, you knew. I mean, she's, can you imagine? She's like, really? They, they wrote that? Yep, I knew. Like it's, it even says she knew. But I love Christmas. I do, I do, and, and in the last couple of years in our, our tradition in our home is I've wrapped all the Christmas gifts, and I was raised in the Mary Cash military school of wrapping presents, and my mom didn't buy bows in bags. They had, were custom-made, like fancy, that were like, you may be opening a pair of underwear, but you thought you were opening a gold watch by the way that it was wrapped, you know, because <laughs> everything, like lines are straight, crisp, folded over, all these things, and so because of that, like, I have now taken on the, the wrapping, which is okay, because I love Christmas. And so I, I'm up this week, and I'm wrapping presents like crazy, and I'm up in our room, and we have a full-size tree in our room, and uh, I said I like it. So, and, and I've, you know, I've got a Christmas movie on, and I may have had a, a, some sparkling cider that's sitting there as well. I'm like completely taking this in. I'm off work until the 2nd of January, so I'm just like breathing in Christmas and just and resting in it and just enjoying, enjoying it. And, and Jess comes up and, you know, it looks like just a bomb went off of wrapping paper and stuff. And, and I'm just in hog heaven. And, and she says, she's like, she goes, wow, you having fun? I said, yes. And, you know, kind of that, that look. And I said, hey, you know what I was thinking about? And in, in typical Jessica form, she's like, I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> you know, she's just so good at entertaining my little uh, thoughts and things that I, that musings that come to me. And I said, you ever thought about how God felt that night? So often in the Christmas story, we, we focus on the wonder and the awe of Christmas. We focus on Mary and Joseph. I mean, can, I mean imagine being Mary and Joseph and, and these angels appearing to you and letting you know that you're going to be part of this redemptive narrative. That you're gonna, I mean, you're going to be 
the parents, the earthly parents of the Savior of the world. I mean, that is awe-worthy. And so rightly so, we focus on those. And the, and the magi coming from the east and this, taking this caravan and, and bringing their gifts and the shepherds on the hill, the angels, we focus on the awe of Christmas. But when we look at God the Father in this moment, what was his heart? What did he feel in that moment? As he waited in anticipation to give his very best gift on that night. What was going through his heart? What was going through his mind? And, and, and what was his experience to, to finally to put into motion to finish this narrative of redemption? And, and in it, I just, I, I think, I mean, there was, it had to be a little bit mixed because he, at some point, right, this baby born in the manger, he is going to lay the sins of the world on him. Boy, to, to have a child and know that you're going to have to put them through something that dramatic and, and, and challenging, I mean, that, that, would, that would obviously be a, a feeling because in it, we, we can think, man, God was outside of the Christmas story. God is fully invested in the Christmas story. And in it, we get a glimpse, right? In Hebrews, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And for the fulfillment of his plan and his, his intent for creation, God gave us his son. And it was Christmas. And, and I just think, I mean, we, as parents, parents, you know, we, we know what it's like. Our loved one, we give a gift to a loved one or a friend that, that we've, you know, you just know you got the gift, right? In, in our home, our kids regularly vie for what gift they can give mom to make her cry. And they literally take bets. They're like, oh, I've got it this year. I've got it this year. Just so you all know, she's not here in this service. I'm winning this year. <laughs> I've got it. I have got it. And I'll tell you, but you're not going to tell her. So I'll tell you what it is. Here it is, because I can't, I can't contain it. So we got married 23 years ago. Uh, we've moved a couple times. We thought we lost all of our wedding pictures, wedding negatives. Gone. Nothing, right? We just had a couple. I found the box of negatives. <laughs> Has had them scanned and some prints made. I win. <laughs> <laughs> but I think of God the Father that night saying, ah, I want creation to know who I really am. I want, to, I want, by giving this gift, I want them to know. This would mean that, you know, roughly 33-ish years from this moment, the words would be uttered that it is finished, that Jesus would complete the Father's plan, the redemption story for you and for me. It would mean that the intimacy for his creation that he'd always planned and desired the absolute most was going to be made possible that his design that was, was recounted throughout history and written down for all time in, in, our, in what we call our, our scriptures of the Bible would come to fulfillment. I've often wondered, you know, why did God choose that moment in history? Because you can imagine, like, if he chose now, like, current time for, the, for Jesus, I mean, it would be live-streamed. Like, it wouldn't probably be written. We'd be watching it, like, real time. We'd have videos. There'd be podcasts. There would, you know, the, all of this would be, would be documented differently. And I thought, well, why would God take the painstaking effort to, to inspire writers from, from over thousands of years to, to write down 
this narrative that we look to as our scriptures and, and, and have. And, you know, my first thought was that we're easily distracted, right? I don't know about you. Like, if I, I'm a lister. Do you ever make lists to get things done? Because if you don't, it's like, man, what was I working on 10 minutes ago? And you have to go back to it because something happens. The phone rings. You get a text, something, and, you, and you get sidetracked. And second thought was that, you know, we just, we forget so easily. We can forget so easily. How many bad movies and, and, and TV shows have we sat through that, we've, that we'll, we'll never remember, Right? If you've seen one Hallmark movie, you've seen 67. <laughs> right? Because it's the same. Right? It's the same. They changed the names. They changed the name of the town from, you know, Snowflake Lane to Snowballville. And, <laughs> and they change it. But it's the same. It's the same story. You know, we, eat, we can easily forget. But I think that, that it was written because it's always been the plan. He wanted us to know that it's always been the plan. He wanted us to know him. He wanted us to have a perspective that is only attained because we have a full picture of, of how he's interacted with mankind from the beginning. We have the perspective that there's nothing on accident. So often we can look around and we can, we can see the state of our world and you turn your news and you wonder, like, is God really in control of this mess? There are times where it seems like things are spinning out of control. Certainly in this time, there have been all sorts of reasons for Mary and Joseph and, and, and people that were longing to see the Messiah come to wonder if God had still kept his promise and to bring this, this Messiah. It had been hundreds of years of, of enslavement captivity. It had been 400 years from the last prophet to John the Baptist. That's a long time. And so there could be causes to wonder. So I, I believe that, that God would write these things down for this purpose, but also because God wants us to know him. That, that by the way that he's interacted in, in throughout history, that we could know him fully. It's also written down because the written word to us could become the written word living among us. John chapter one, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We call it the incarnation or the, or the advent, but it means that, that God has descended into humanity, that he took on flesh and bones to walk the earth and experience every single thing that a life as a, as a human being can offer. You know, this is that, that thing that does set our faith apart. Every other religion in the world is about getting to God, and this story is about God getting to us and making haste to do so. This is Christmas. God coming to us, not as a conquering hero, not as a charismatic world leader, but as a child. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah speaking of Jesus coming in, in chapter nine, verses nine, uh, verses six through seven. It says, for uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love that, that zeal, that passion, the heart of God to accomplish this that this son, this child would be given. It's funny, when we hear the words child and wonderful counselor put next to each other, 
We don't that doesn't make sense. How about mighty God and child or, or everlasting father and child and prince of peace and child? No, those, those words are, are, are put a, next to each other for a reason. They, just, they display for us the humility of God. See, knowing that, that these words were written roughly 700 years prior to Jesus' birth, and if you to some context, that's three times longer than the United States has been a country. You know, those, those humbling moments when you think, oh yeah, we're pretty something. And it's like, wait a second. This one prophecy was written like 700 years before this. Yeah, we're, we're, just, a, we're just a blip on the, on the screen. It's a, it's a humbling moment. But it sinks in. It's also a pivotal moment when we understand that God would choose that. We don't know why God chose that timing. You know, he's God, so he gets to choose whenever he wants. But why he chose to come in this way reveals the heart of our Father to initiate reconciliation. See, we see a God lowering himself to come as a baby born in a lowly manger. But we do see him coming to us. See, we can oftentimes struggle with the idea that our actions or our behaviors qualify or disqualify us from approaching God. This morning, we're going to look at a passage from a guy in Scripture that, that he interacts with Jesus, and, and he needs to learn that it's not about his measuring up. It's about God approaching him. He's, he's known as the rich young ruler, and he's found in Mark chapter 10 in the Bible, and it starts in verse 17, verses 17 through 22, and it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. This passage, we see the rich young ruler running up to Jesus, and, and it he asks this question, you know, good teacher, what is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? And, and at first, when you see Jesus' response, he, has a, he asks a question in response. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Instantly, we see that Jesus wants to challenge him. He wants to challenge what he believes about God. He wants to challenge what he believes on, on who God is and this God that he would approach because we're gonna see later as he makes his list he believes that God is a taskmaster. And he needs to learn by his interaction with the living God, with Jesus on earth, the heart of the Father. And it's the first challenge that we face as well. How do you see God? Do you see God as good? When you think and, and, and wonder about the person, God, do you say, do you say, man, God is Good, you know, in our English language is some, somewhat limited in a lot of different ways and we have so many great words to describe things. And, and this word good, we can oftentimes, it, 
use it in weird ways and different ways. And we need to make sure we understand, you know, exactly what is being asked here. Because, you know, the word good is like, we don't, you think, okay, yeah, that's good. I mean, you could, like, well, that's not what he's talking about. You know, nothing has taught me the difference in, in how to use this word more than marriage. I can tell you that there's a difference in when my wife says, hey, this is, what do you think of this dress? There's a difference between I say, if I say, that dress looks good. Or if I say, that dress looks good. <laughs> right? How the evening goes uh, stands in the balance on how I understand to use that word. But in it, we have to see that this is a, a, a reference to what, what biblical goodness means, the goodness of God, what we're talking about. And, and if you're to, to grab it into, into a definition that we can, to, you know, with as much time as we have this morning to kind of put it in a tight bow, is, it's to say this, it's for the benefit of. Do you believe that God's heart is for the benefit of you? For the good, is, is he good? Is it for your Good. I mean, we know as parents, right, you feed your kids vegetables because they're good for them. They get enough sleep. They have to brush their teeth. They have to do other things. Not because it does anything for us as parents. I mean, it's actually annoying to have to remind them 5,000 times and, or sit there at the dinner table longer because they won't eat their, their vegetables. And, but it's because it's for their benefit. You know, that's a good, we would say that's a good parent. And so it's the same when we look at God. The things that, that, are, that we experience in life, are they for our good and, and our benefit? At the core of his being is, is his goodness. The things that we have to consider is, the, is, the, is God really for me? Is he for my eternal benefit? Is it beyond the thinking of things that I think are good for me? This morning I was offered a, um, a sausage uh, wrapped in pancake corn dog. While it sounds delicious, it's not good for me. And there's a difference. Do I believe it's, it's something that's just good or do I believe it's for my eternal good? And, and so that's the question that we all must answer because it's going to deter- determine how we approach God. If you believe he's good, how we approach him changes. If you believe that he's hard, It'll change how you approach him. But see, Jesus answers his question. Jesus answers this man's question. He sees this que- that him come and he wants to have this answer. And I love uh, this about Jesus, that he answers our honest questions, either if they're hard or challenging. Psalm 145, 18 says that he's near to those that call on him in truth. I've sat with a lot of young people over the years and, and a lot of and adults over the years that have Man, I've really had to go through some tough stuff, some deep water. And they think because of what they believe about God that they can't really go to him and say, you know, God, I'm, I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm, resent, like, you know, I'm resentful. I don't, I don't even understand why I'm going through this. And I said, no, 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 no. Take those questions to God. God wants us to ask him those questions. He's near to those that call on him in truth. And so we can ask the hard questions. We can ask him the challenging things because he's going to see our hearts and he's going to want to respond. I love that Jesus responds. He says, listen, you know, don't waste my time, buddy. He goes, go figure it out. You know, he actually answers him. He doesn't say good luck with that. The question he asks is, what must I do? Another thing we learn about God, he'll even answer us if we ask wrong questions. Right, we know. He said, the rich young ruler says, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now we have the benefit of all this history and God's word to know that the gospel, that the good message, that eternal life isn't about anything that we do. It's about a gift. But Jesus hears his question. It's the wrong question. And he still answers him. God is a patient God. And because he's good and he wants this young man to see the heart of the father, he answers him. And he, so he, he works and he says, listen, well, you know the scriptures. You know, don't do all these things. And then the boy says, the young man says, I've done all these things. I mean, my first reading to that, I'll tell you what, I'm just like, no way. Like it's Christmas. You never peeked at your gifts. You, know, you, you never took an extra cookie when your mom wasn't looking. Right, you never, you know, like this guy's like, he says, no, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I don't, when I read that, I, I look, man, I, I fall far short of the list that was read. And so I'm thinking, man, this guy, I mean, he's, he has got it. In ministry, I would say he's, a, he's an altogether, right? He's got it all. He's got the good grades. He's got the good friends. He's got it on the outside, the appearance, and by his behavior, you would say he has got it all together. And he comes, and, and Jesus is, is working off this man's wrong understanding. See, because he saw the law as an opportunity for him to, to earn relationship with God. He saw it as an ability, uh, uh, it was depended upon his ability to perform, to receive favor from God. And he misses it because the point of the law wasn't to earn it. The point of the law was to reveal both our sinfulness and also our inability to keep it. When he answers the question, he says, I have done all this. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And we learn that Jesus sees our hearts. He sees that deep inside this young man, that while he might be misguided and he might even have asked the wrong question, deep inside this young man was a longing to please the Father. God has placed inside each and every single one of us this longing, this desire to, that, that is what the Holy Spirit draws us to him by because we know, we just know that we're made for something. We're made for a relationship. We're made for deeper purpose than just changing oxygen and earning money. And he looks at him and says he loved him because he see, what he sees is he sees in his motive is a heart to do the things of God. Jess is a, my wife is a, uh, she's an acts of service person. That's what fills her love bucket up. So when I clean the bathrooms, I, I do projects that she's had on the list um, or finish projects that I started long ago and didn't finish. Uh, any of those things, uh, man, it just, it just fills her bucket up. So I'm, I, I, I know this about her. We've married for 23 years. And so there's times where I, like, I purposely like, go after it, want to try to seek it out. And, uh, and I have failed more times uh, than I like to admit. Oftentimes it comes in the area of cooking. Um, I stick with breakfast now because the, the breakfast foods are safe. But, and she appreciates that because, uh, you know, I cannot honestly count. Not very, I have not had to think too many times in our, our marriage how many times I've had to uh, think about what to make for dinner. And she has to think about that every single day. And, uh, but there's uh, certain areas where I've lost extremely bad in this area, and it's in laundry. And because I didn't realize that there's only a right way to fold things. I thought you just fold them efficiently and put them in the drawer, right? Hey, you're just going to get it back out and put it on, so it doesn't matter. I mean, does underwear really matter how it's folded? <laughs> and I have learned that it does, and, and, and I've tried so often, like, and like, I've even watched her. I've even folded clothes next to her and I'm like, okay, I've got this. And so like, and there's been times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to bless her. I'm going to get the laundry done. 
And she literally, she'll walk in, and the, like the last time, which was honestly a couple years ago, because I'm done trying, and she, I'll, hey, I'll clean a bathroom, because it works, but, but she looked at it, she goes, nice try. I mean, nice try. And really, later she came, she goes, I know what you were trying to do. I know what you're, I know that you wanted to bless me, but don't. <laughs> but in it, she could see my heart my desire to honor her. And that's what Jesus sees when he looks at this young man. He sees a desire to honor God. I love that Jesus exposes the truth that he sees the full us in this. That he sees the real us, not the performing us. He sees us where there's nothing hidden. He sees beyond our actions, both good and bad. He sees beyond our words, both good and bad. He sees all of it. And he sees that this guy has this one thing that he needs to let go of. And he says, sell everything, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. He gives him this promise, like, just get rid of it. You're going to have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Jesus answers him. He knows that the biggest need for this man and our single most need is to be free from things that can ensnare us. Our passage that we read in Isaiah chapter 9 says that he comes as the prince of peace. And when we read that, we have to understand that that's not the greeting card sentiment that we see this time of year where we think of like no wars and, and no children arguments in the family room or anything like that. That it's, that it's actually the greatest peace that both you and I need and it's the peace, the reconciliation of our souls with our maker. And Jesus comes, and that's our, it's our number one need, and he's looking at this man. He's like, listen, you're there. You've done all these things. Your heart is there. You want to do this, and I'm gonna tell you what you need to do to set aside that, get rid of anything that can tangle you up so that you can have this eternal life. I, I, I've just often marveled at the fact that like, he's invited to, be, to follow Jesus, right? At this moment, could he potentially become 13 disciples because of it? We don't know because he, he leaves. And this isn't Jesus saying that, that money is bad. Jesus is saying that money having us is bad. That anything in its wrong place, even though if it, it isn't sinful at the start, can become sinful and enslave us. And Jesus wants us. God the Father wants us to be free this Christmas. He wants us to know that the primary need is to save us from our sins. When the angel told, told Joseph not to be afraid of going ahead with his marriage to, to Mary, back in the, in the Matthew account where, where he appears and, and Joseph is justifiably nervous, right? Like this woman he's been, uh, he's engaged to, all of a sudden is pregnant. He didn't do it and he doesn't want to like, but he doesn't, he's a good dude, so he doesn't want to shame her. But he also like, okay, I'm out. And, and the angel appears to him and says, listen, you need to understand this is bigger than you. This is bigger than Mary. That God has, has chosen you to, to be part of this. And so in this, even God gets, even Joseph gets to learn the heart of God and that the number one thing is that we need to be saved from our sins. It says in Matthew 1, 21, that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Nothing imprisons us more than our sins. The rich young ruler misses out because of what he thinks Jesus is asking He's thinking God wants his money. He thinks that it's a from thing, a perform better thing, a do more thing. And Jesus is invite, inviting him to know that this is a for thing, that the one that's for him and that's for his, that is good is for his good. The one who's good is here and invites him, not based on what he's done, but in spite of it. And it's also in spite of all the things that he hasn't done as well. 
that it's not about doing enough to be able to approach God. It's that God approaches us and invites us. That's Christmas. So Christmas reveals the heart of God to initiate this reconciliation. But Christmas also shows us the humility of God, that he would be born to us in a lonely manger. Luke chapter two, verses eight through 14 says that, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Christmas is good news of great joy that a God would humble himself to be born in a manger, to be, to be declared to, to lowly shepherds on a hillside, that God has approached you and me. It says that, it's, that Christmas is for sinners who need a savior. It says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You can look at your neighbor and say, just so you know, you're all the people. Jesus came for all the people. There's not a group that is excluded. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter whether you live in Buckley or Enumclaw or even Carbonado. It doesn't matter. It's for all the people. You have never locked eyes with somebody that isn't all the people. So often we can create groups and, and we're, we're good at it ourselves of even trying to place ourselves inside or outside of the group that God would want. The message of Christmas is that God wants everyone. That he would become a baby. That he have to endure all of the growing up, all of the challenges that any human being would face and be one of us and walk among us. See, our God is a savior. Our God is a rescuer. Our God is a redeemer. Christmas is about his desire to redeem in the world, fixing something that he didn't cause and restoring what he initially intended in creation. You know, parents, how many times with our kids we've seen them arguing and bickering, fighting, and, and you go into the room and they're yelling and shouting and, and, the, and the first thing you're like, what's going on here? And instantly what? It's fingers pointed. She started it. God looks and says, the original issue started in the garden. And we've made choices ourselves that can, we, that can make us feel that we're unapproachable by a holy, good God. And Jesus says, I didn't start it, but I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna restore it. You need to know that God approaches you. You need to know that he's running towards you with desperation, that he gave you his best, that he gives us his best. He wants us to know that we, when we feel helpless, that when we don't have things all together, like when we read stories of the rich young ruler, that God still approaches us. He wants us to know that we can rest from performance. 
we don't have to earn it, that we don't have to measure up, that in our lowest days and our best days, God's love and approaching us is never altered. This morning, as we look to wrap up and we look to respond, and it, I feel like there's three specific groups of people that, that God has speak to this morning that, that we could choose to respond to the message of Christmas. But it's not about approaching him. It's about him approaching us. And that first is, is I, I guess I'd call the group doubters. I don't know if that's even the right word. But can we just say you have questions? Like, is God really good? One of the things I love about ministering to youth ministry and children's ministry is that they're the best at these questions. They're the best at these questions because they'll say things like, man, if God is really good, how come my stepdad beats my mom? Or if God is really good, how come school's so hard for me, but so easy for them? Or if God is really good, why do I struggle with depression? See, young people, just, they just lay, they'll just ask the question. And some of us have questions the same, like if God is really good, how come my, my son or my daughter are still wandering far from God? God is really good, how come I have to walk through this? And this morning, God would say, bring your question in truth. It's Christmas, he's near. He wants you to know that he's approaching you and that your questions don't make him step back. He leans into the questions and he's gonna answer the question that's at the base of your heart. Second group that I think that, that he would speak to this morning is a group that I think I find myself in far too often and, and it's that the doer group. The performance. I mean, how often I can say that I, and I'm not proud of it by any stretch, but how often could I say that I've said, man, I've had a great week. Man, I've spent time with Jesus and the word, prayer. It just, I just feel so close to him. So, so because of how I feel, I'm gonna, I, I can approach him gladly and excited. But then there's weeks where that's not true. Where it's like, man, it's been a couple days and I feel like, man, if I go to God, he's gonna say, oh, now you wanna talk to me? Really? Because what I'm believing about is that God is, is dependent on me. And this, this morning, God wants you to know that if you find yourself in that group, that he wants you to get rid of the list. He wants you to be free from performing. That when you go through a rough patch or it's even as you're on the mountaintop experience, his nearness is forever. That Isaiah chapter nine says that it'll never end. His nearness is always there. God always approaches. And the last group is the group that would say, you know what? You're struggling with some hope. You're asking the question, is it really even possible? I hear the list that the rich young ruler and, and some people say, man, I haven't kept all of them. But some people would say, I haven't kept any of them. It's a constant struggle and, and there's cycles of sin and repent. And it's like, is it, is it really possible that God can save me, that God wants to be near me, that God approaches me? You know, when the disciples see this guy leave and Jesus responds, if, we, if you play the, the narrative out, it says that he says, man, it's hard for the rich to get in, into heaven. And, and what, he's, what he's talking about is, listen, like, if, if you let money rule you, 
you can mask a lot of hurt. You can mask a lot of mess that the people that don't have those means have. And so he's saying, hey, he goes, man, it's, it's hard for them. But the disciples are like, wait a second. He's done all these things and he's loaded. Like if he, who can be saved? And then Jesus says in, Mark, in chapter 10, verse 27, he looked at them intently. In my Bible, I underlined the word intently. Jesus wants them to know something specific here. And he says, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Because of Christmas, everything is possible with God. Things that have seemed hopeless for a long time are possible with God. Struggles that, that you continue to endure, you can overcome, and it's possible with God because it's Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, this morning as we uh, wrap up just our time and God in a season of celebration where you're the guest of honor, where your amazing gift is displayed in, in, in a world that doesn't even recognize it so often. That for all time, the question of your goodness is answered because we, you gave your son, your only son, that we might be reconciled to you. That our sin, that, that my Zach's sin would be laid upon your shoulders, that I might know you. But God, those that are here this morning that are wrestling through questions and doubts, God, I pray that you would meet them, that you would see past, even if it's a wrong question, but answer the question of their heart's longing as our good father, the one that approaches us, the one that comes to us. God, this morning, I, I pray that those that are stuck in cycles of trying to perform and earn can be set free and find rest knowing that, they, that you already have done everything, that there's nothing that needs to be done, that we simply receive. God, more than anything, I pray that in every heart we would prepare room for you. They would create spaces for you to come in and change us to set us free from things that we've clung to too long, ideals that are not of you, that you would bring hope to hopeless situations, that you'd bring healing to the sick, that Jesus, that you would bring a restoration. We thank you that because of Christmas, we have the number one gift. We have peace with God on behalf of the Prince of Peace. We honor you. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for the gift of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, will you stand with me this morning?